We were trying to think up a cold open that would really communicate the importance of representation in new metal, something that would really make our audience consider their attitudes towards women in music and just towards women in general. But then we figured, if you haven't gotten it by now, our stupid podcast isn't going to help you out, you fucking Neanderthal. It's the basics of being a decent person. You're listening to the season one finale, episode 11 of Days of the New. Welcome to another episode of Days of the New. I'm Nick. I'm joined by Kevin. Say hi, Kevin. Hey, Kevin. I'm sorry. That was a dad joke. Yeah. Well, you're in, you're engaged. You uh, you live with your fiance. Like you're going to start making dad jokes now. You bought you bought a house. Yeah. And now I'm going to start talking about new metal because uh, this is what my life has come to. Absolutely. Well, at least we're going to talk about a pretty fun record today. Indeed, we are. So this episode is about one of the more unique acts in new metal. Uh, today we're talking about Kitty. Mm-hmm. So Kitty was the first new metal band, and I think the only new metal band to ever achieve mainstream success that was composed entirely of females. Yeah, as far as I know, there's nobody else that was really doing that at this time. I mean, the only woman in the genre that I knew of at the time was Raina Foss, uh, the bass player in Cold Chamber. Mm. There was a Kid Rock had a female drummer. That's true, yeah. And maybe if you wanted to include a white zombie bassist, but that's a reach. Yeah, I mean, that's about it. You know, I mean, at this point in time, overall, rock music really didn't have much representation of of women. So how did you first hear Kitty? What was your first time? (sighs) Okay, so I'm going to be honest with you. This has been the first time that I've ever listened to this album from start to finish, and there's a reason for that. The first time I ever heard Kitty was, like most people, uh, I heard Brackish, and I saw the video yeah. for that, and then uh, I heard the follow-up, uh, Charlotte. I wrote them off, and I've spent a lot of time thinking about that, which is, here were these drop-dead gorgeous, insanely talented girls who were my age, and they were making this just brutal music, and they were touring the world, and they were just so fucking confident in themselves, and that intimidated me. And it made me think, well, what am I doing with my life except failing high school and stuck in my shitty town in North Carolina? I hadn't done anything I was proud of. Never mind that that takes a lot of hard work and a little bit of luck, but I just wrote them off because I had no idea how to really process my own insecurities and my own depression. Yeah, well, that's big, big of you to admit that. Yeah, I mean, basically, basically, I was like one bad AOL instant messenger chat away from like becoming a full-blown red-pilled incel. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> well, I mean, I think that's that's what a lot of this album's about um, because that's what they had to deal with a lot as four young women. women I mean, they were like... 14 to 18 i think yeah. when the album came out like they were they were kids yeah and like i think a lot of people wouldn't take them seriously because they were just oh, oh okay they're girls that, and the girl that screams okay so like i'd never heard a girl scream in a metal band before kitty mm-hmm. like that was definitely my first time i mean like babes in toyland and l7 were doing like growly punk kind of vocals yeah, in 92 whole... But that's like more of a punk sneer than like a metal snar. Like, but so I did a little deep dive. I mean, we know probably the most notable female screamer 
ever is Angela Gasso from Arch Enemy, mm-hmm. I think. Yeah. But she was also in Asmodina in the early 90s. Uh, would you like to hear Asmodina? Yes, I would. I warn you, this is extremely German. Okay, you get the idea? Yes, I do. Yes, I do. I love it. I love it. I am here for that. Yes. Now, again, listeners, that was was a woman. That was uh, Angela Gasso. Do you want to hear the first recording of female growling vocals that I was able to track down like ever? Please, yeah. So this is Dutch band Acrosticon, fronted by Corrine Vanderbrand. And here's a recording of their 1993 track, Pain. Yeah. All right. Yeah. So pretty cool. So that, if you want to actually listen to a bizarre, I mean, this is some like, this is, this is a 1993 compilation entitled Awakening Females in Extreme Music. I found it on Spotify. I love it. It's extremely European. It's some Nordic, like burn a church down shit. Thor's um, hammer. <laughs> Death witch. Yeah. 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 November grief. Yeah. I mean, like this album haunts my dreams and I need to like burn some sage around my laptop after listening to it. Demonic Christ. <laughs> and it's spelled wrong. That had, to be a, that had to be a typo. Okay. Well, anyway, now you get the idea. So let's get back to Kitty. They're from London, Ontario, Canada. Mm-hmm. Uh, formed all the way back in 1996, but did not release their first album until 2000. So same, same as most bands, guitar player Fallon Bowman met drummer Mercedes Lander in gym class. Or gymnastics Yay. class. I, I think it was gymnastics. Lander's sister Morgan became the singer. And then they rounded out the album with bass player Tanya Candler. They're very Canadian, so she pronounces it Tanya, not Tanya. They started playing shows, and they got to be a part of uh, Canadian Music Week in 1999. That's sort of like Canada's South by Southwest. Oh, okay. So they gained the attention of Artemis Records, and they caught a deal. Our old friend Garth got his hands on their demo and agreed to produce the debut. Oh, Garth decided to do something good. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, like, I, I saw an interview with Fallon, and they're like, Who, who's Garth Richardson? I don't know who Garth Richardson is. And they're like, you know, Garth. And she was like, oh, my God, he did the first Rage record. Uh, so, like, super cool for these, like, teenagers to all of a sudden go in with a guy that really knows his way around the board, you know? <laughs> anyway, so the record was recorded in nine days. They finished it in August of 1999. It was set to release in October of 1999, but bass player Tanya Candler left the band. She uh, had a really hard time dealing with like all of a sudden being a thing. They were at some festival and uh, they got set up at like the autograph line. And she said Mm -hmm. the line for, for Kitty was like hours long and she just couldn't cope with the reality of signing autographs for people she was just some 16 year old kid um she yeah, don't blame her she didn't even play bass she was a guitar player and like these are like the first songs they ever wrote like they literally like oh i just got a drum kit you want to start a band and like it's crazy and it shows it shows on a lot of these songs oh definitely it does you will totally get into that it's a really good observation candler left the band and went back to high school so like with an album drop and an opening slot on the next slipknot tour they had to find <laughs> a bass player like asap so uh, Mercedes Lander uh, called up a friend uh, and supporter of the band, Talina Atfield, who they referred to as, you mean that scary girl that hangs out at the mall? 
You're in Kitty. What the fuck do you mean the scary girl that hangs out at the mall? But they weren't. But they weren't scary yet. They were scary when the marketing took place. Like these uh, were just okay. little girls. You know, like they didn't have all the piercings and the dyed red hair and the and the punk clothes that came from the label. You know, uh. they were just four Canadian girls. So anyway, she quickly agreed to join the band. But again, she had never played a bass in her life. She didn't know how to play the guitar. So they got her a bass. She learned how to play in two weeks. So I'm sure she was real good. Fuck. Literally only in new metal can something like this happen. But here's something interesting. So let's talk about the album cover. It has all four members of Kitty dressed to the nines in Hot Topic Finest, right? Oh, yeah. The baby doll, like yeah. braids. and Yeah, the, yeah, oh. yeah. So the interesting, the interesting thing, though, is Talina Atfield is pictured on the album cover, but she didn't play one note on the album. So Tanya Candler had to see the album that she played on get released while another girl just, like, vacuumed up her identity at work. <laughs> <laughs> it's pretty brutal. But, I mean, it, it's, but it's what can, Tanya wanted. She wasn't, like kicked out like she literally just didn't want to do it mm -hmm. which is messed up because all the other girls in the band describe her as the most talented musician they've ever known and she was just a little kid they said she was the kind of girl that could just like pick up any instrument and and rock right did she go on to do anything mm -mm. musically no she no. never wanted it anyway but look at this album cover so it's got these four girls high school girls with midriff on your album cover <laughs> the marketing behind that you get these dude it an album cover that looks like that, exposed midriff, smoky eyes. Now that's going to move some units. Oh, it, yeah, Get it, it my unit. Get it, moving yeah, units. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> moving units. Okay, I digress. <sighs> um, the album came out to mostly positive press. Uh, one review from Kansas City's The Pitch newspaper said that spit echoes Helmet's precision, Slayer's power, and with some songs dealing with body image and self-esteem issues, even Nirvana's confessional songwriting. This guy in Kansas City says that's a little bit of a stretch, but it's, 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 I still like it. Um, yeah. Another reviewer called it heavier than Limp Bizkit and Corn, which it is. Yep. Uh, Rolling Stone called it maximum aggro, which I've kind of forgot about aggro. Ah, me too. <laughs> that, was a, that was a term for new metal. Aggro rock, aggro core. <laughs> a review from Exclaim, however, told them to pull the plug and stay in school, which is kind of a dick thing to say to a bunch of teenage girls that got signed to a cool indie record label, but whatever. Yeah. The album sold 600,000 units and made it to 79 on the Billboard Top 200, but number two on the independent label charts, which is oh, pretty wow. dope. Yeah. So let's just get right into it, all right? The first song is the title track, and it is called Spit, and this album starts in a hurry. Fuck. This shit is super aggressive. This is heavier than anything that anybody else was doing, and I don't know if I would even call this a new metal album. Well, I mean, I, I think if it is a new metal album, you judge judge yourself by the the company you keep. And you know, they went mm. out with you know Corn and Seven Dust and, and Slipknot. Yeah, but it is the only new metal album in their catalog. Nothing they did after this is anywhere close to new metal. There is more screaming on this album than anything else I can think yeah. of. Oh, like more real screaming. Ab absolutely. I know Morgan Lander, she's still a teenager. She's still finding her vocal style. And because of that, her scream sounds like a little weird yeah. versus other albums. But personally, I love where she went with it. I love the closed throats scream through like these gritted teeth. It's so unique. Yeah. And like, it, it really helps this out. Well, and you can tell she's a girl, you know, like mm -hmm. now if you hear her, she's brutal. Like, yeah, anyone. She's fucking brutal. <laughs> this song is not messing around. It's angry. It's about all the flack they took from local bands that basically called them a gimmick and how people like Kevin treated them. <laughs> yep, yep. No, 100%. How wildly un and unfair and selfish 
of folks like me. That is the kind of attitude that is behind, like, show us your tits. Oh, for sure. For sure it is. Where you just feel intimidated. You go, oh, show us your oh, yeah. tits. Let's reduce them to the bass, you know? Yep. So the song has, like, a grinding guitar part, and when it comes in with the drums and the scream, it's it's crazy punishing. Mm-hmm. The lyric, uh, I think I'll spit, is a clear, like, yeah, I'm a girl, but watch this. It's a fuck you from the beginning, yep. and I'm here for it. Yep. Mercedes Landers quoted in the Washington Post saying, we're intense and a lot of people just don't expect it. That's why Spit is my favorite song in the world. People expect us to suck. Then we get on stage and blow them away. (laughs) One minute they're just standing there and then their mouths drop open and their dicks feel small. (laughs) (laughs) I remember, I realized something interesting in my fourth or fifth listen. The guitar player, Fallon, her favorite band's the Deftones, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think you can hear some Deftones-y kind of stuff in the guitar work. But this album came out in January of 2000. Later that summer, the Deftones put out White Pony. Mm. Really quickly, go into YouTube, go to listen to the song Elite, just the opening riff. It sounds exactly like the riff to this song. It's so close. Elite is so close to spit. Wow. Yet Elite won the Grammy that year for Best Metal Song. No shit. Yes. Wow. I think Spit is a more honest song, and I wish it got the nomination. And I love the Deftones. But hey, that's what happens when you're on Madonna's label, Maverick, versus Tiny Ass Artemis Records. Yep. Fun fact, what was the best-selling single ever released on Artemis Records? Ooh, I'm going to go with uh, with Charlotte by Kitty. It's a little track called Who Let the Dogs Out by the Bob, man. Shut the fuck. <laughs> oh, what kind of world am I living in? <laughs> All right, moving on. The next track is my favorite song on the album, and this is Charlotte's. This was the second single, and it had a video that got a lot of airplay on MTV. It was also a video that made me extremely uncomfortable. This was the song I was exposed to the most and probably the one I liked the least. And the reason for that was that it was too slow and disjointed for me at the time. Listening to it with my grown-up ears, I really, really appreciate it. And uh, there's a heavy vision of Disorder vibe. So I looked into kind of like what their influences were. In a 1999 interview, they listed among their influences uh, a band called Today is the Day. Today is the Day is like a heavily influential hardcore band. And in retrospect, it makes total sense. So like this is the same group that influenced Dead Guy and Dillinger Escape Plan. It's discordant and it's got some like ambient Pink Floyd style noise thrown in. I hear so much of like Vision of Disorder and Today is the Day blended with things of the time like Alice in Chains, Nirvana, Soundgarden. Yeah, they were big like silver chair. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Alice in Chains. So uh, the lyrics to the song are vague and I never really knew what it was about. But so it's got this whole, you're right where I want you. You said you wanted it. And then she sings, your head is in my closet. And I'm like, what the fuck, right? So... Morgan apparently read the book Rites of Burial by Tom Jackman and Troy Cole about notorious Kansas City serial killer Bob Berdella. And well, coincidentally, oh no, that's a book that I own. Are you fucking kidding me? Yeah. So I read that and I was like, I have that book. And I went over to my bookshelf and there it is, right? So Bob Berdella would cruise around downtown Kansas City a few decades ago and pick up hustlers and male prostitutes and then take them back to their house where he would keep them bound. He kept detailed logs of the sexual abuse he put them through, detailed to exactly what time he stuck what item up their assholes and then electrocuted them and put chemicals in their eyes. (laughs) It's super fucked up. 
he he buried the bodies in his backyard. This is like less than 10 miles from where I'm recording this. Holy shit. Fun fact about Bob Burdella is that he ran a little oddities shop out of the Westport Flea Market in Kansas City, which is now no longer a flea market, but a pretty good hamburger place that's still called the Westport Flea Market. Wow. And he really did have a dude's skull in his closet. I just want to go on record. Remember our last episode when uh, Vanilla Ice said he was a big, like, Edgar Allan Poe reader? Yeah. Yeah, around the same uh, age as she was reading this. Uh, right. I think she's got more cred. <laughs> yeah, I uh, believe her. Believe women. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, like, this song throws down. It has a really dope bridge with pretty, really pretty clean vocals. And then it ends with, like, this batshit angry screaming outro. But do yourself a favor. And head over to YouTube and watch Kitty play this song in London, Ontario in 2019. But more on that later. Yeah. We're going to probably fly through a lot of this. Yeah. Uh, the next song is Paper Doll. This song starts, this is the third single. I can't even believe it. Because this song starts off with a conga or a bongo. And that's how you know it's not going to be good. <laughs> no, no. They pull the e-brake and give us like some weird as fuck, like Alice in Chains, clean electric guitar with the bongos. And like, this song was absolutely written by a teenager. <laughs> Dude, it 100% sounds like a high school band, which is what Katie is, a high yeah. school band. Oh, so the chord progression is super obvious to anyone that, that has ever played the guitar. It's a power chord on the third fret, <laughs> fifth fret, and the seventh fret. It's like the easiest power chord pattern that everybody first riffed on when you first learned how to play a power chord. This sounds exactly like the type of song that is like written on your guitar and a practice amp in your bedroom. And like you can't go crazy because your parents are watching TV downstairs. Like that's what <laughs> right. this is. I mean, this song sounds like it was recorded on a practice amp. You can hear where they hit the hit like the metal zone pedal and oh. it goes to oh, oh, totally. <laughs> uh, and the lyrics come off like a poem an angsty high school girl wrote and then sang over a crappy version of Mother by Dancing. <laughs> oh, Jesus. Yeah, it's not a great song, but you know what? It's better than anything I was doing at that age. Oh, uh, for sure, for sure. Uh, the next song's called Suck, and it's filler. There's really no hook or really anything too memorable here. It's a direct reaction to bros and local bands. And I mean, musically, it's forgettable, but I appreciate the sentiment. Uh, it's just, it's one of those tracks that gets them the new metal label on this album. Yeah, 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 for sure. The next song is uh, Do You Think I'm a Whore? I kind of dig the verse structure of this song. It's got like Pantera energy. What I really appreciate about this, I think musically it's very disjointed, which I think is kind of the uh, crux of this whole album. It balances... Uh, even vocally this idea of like sweet fen uh, femininity fen femininity with the anger of being held to all these double standards and it kind of goes back and forth between that and it creates this really like fucking sinister menacing sound that i dig so I couldn't find the real source, but Morgan's quoted on a ton of Angel Fire sites <laughs> saying this song is about how she perceives herself versus how other people see her. Realistically, somebody called her a whore and she went home and wrote a song about it. Oh, yeah. Probably got in some bed. Almost 100%. Yep. Yeah. All right. So the next one is the first single, and that is Brackish. Fuck. Yes, it is. This is the first Kitty song I think any of us heard. On April 15th, 2000, it peaked at number 31 on the Billboard Active Rock Chart. Would you like to know what the top five songs on the Active Rock Chart on that date were? Yes, please. Let's go in order from five to one. Coming in uh, hot at number five is Godsmack with Voodoo. Yeah! <laughs> Doo -doo -doo -doo. Number four, we have ACDC with Stiff Upper Lip. 
You remember that when ACDC like just dropped a, a rock song and it like became a hit in 2000? Super yeah, weird. those guys were like 65 oh, at the oh, time. A stiff, a stiff of a Number three uh, was the Red Hot Chili Peppers with Other Side, which this is one of the only Red Hot Chili Peppers songs that I don't truly despise. Creed with What If came in at number two. Ooh, and I don't wow. remember, I don't remember that song. And I was going to look it up, and then I was like, I don't, I don't fucking want to listen to Creed at all. No, it, uh, you know this one. So one that's You remember that. Oh, that's, that's, you nailed it. And then number one comes in with a song that to me is very similar to Trapped by, or Headstrong by Trapped in the sense that it's it did way better than it should because it's not a good song. And that is Three Doors Down with Kryptonite. Yeah, not mad about it. Ish. Oh, I just, it's not a good song. They got so big off of it. And you go back and listen. Oh, I, I just, I hate it. Anyway, let's get back to, back to reason why we're here. So Brackish, right? We get this creepy little like carnival guitar lick at the beginning. Yeah. Right. I love it. Yeah. But it immediately jumps into like this brutal riff, right? The song goes into clean female vocals by Morgan. Definitely has a bit of a snarly, like kind of whole vibe, but then it hits the chorus and the guitar player Fallon Bowman does this like rapid shout part while Morgan wails over the top. And like, this was an early Kitty song and they didn't think that it would um, make the album. A after they recorded it, the label immediately was like, no, this is the single. I saw a video of Fallon saying that that rapid shouting part was directly mm -hmm. influenced by Static X. I have a quote from her as well on those rapping parts on the album. She says, well, there are two answers to this one. I feel like in part I spoke or rapped because I was not entirely confident in my singing voice yet. And this was the path of least resistance. But I also grew up loving and listening to a lot of hip hop and R&B. So it's very much also a part of who I am, too. So sure. I, I, I thought that was interesting. Yeah. And I mean, that's the only part in the album that you could consider rap. And I really it doesn't feel like rap to me. It just feels like spoken word. Yeah. You know? Yeah, I mean, it's, yeah, anyway. I love um, it. I love it, dude. I fucking love this song. Yeah, it's great. Um, so I do have a little beef. So what what they think makes this song, and I don't disagree, is they hired a DJ. They traded him a case of beer to come in and drop an electronic like drum machine part yeah. behind the song. And it yeah. really does tie the song together, but it doesn't naturally flow back into the song. It sort of like ends and like floats there and then the chorus comes back in but it doesn't feel like it comes in on the beat and it always bugs me a little bit huh but anyway i figured it was a giga garth trick but they hired a they hired a dj to come in and for do some b -b 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 beer <laughs> <laughs> uh so the next song is called johnny this song's a grinder it's super heavy she gets into like a new level of like rage on this one I think it's a really well-produced track and like the guitars sound awesome. I, I want to know what they use so I can like jam these songs in my living room. I have no idea what the song is about. Uh, nah, not really. Me either. <laughs> but she yeah. absolutely loses her mind at the end of it. Yeah, it's pretty great. Yeah, it rules. <laughs> the next song is called Trippin'. And this one doesn't feel like a song so much as it feels like spoken word over heavy music thing. It doesn't really have any structure or melody, and it reminds me of Henry Rollins. Yeah, th this might be the most new metal song on the album, and this song in particular suffers from a case of the Godsmacks. <laughs> it's got a lot of disjointed random ideas floating around, and like the song stops and then another song begins. And that's what you would expect on a teenager's first album. All right, the next one is called Raven. 
and uh, we landed on a new metal trope. We finally mm -hmm. got one. The lyrics to the chorus is "Get away from me." <laughs> oh yeah, this is uh, filler, and G -G -G Garth knew exactly what he was doing when he front loaded this album. Yeah, yeah. I mean, some of these tunes down here feel like they were just rushed to complete the album. Mm -hmm. You know, it's your standard debut album with a, a good chunk of filler. Yeah, it's not bad, but not great. Yeah. Uh, the next song is called "Get Off." You can eat a dick. <laughs> I love this song. I love this song. I was laughing my ass off as much as one can with a song detailing abuse at the hands of the clergy. <laughs> well, so in an interview with Bleeding Metal, uh, Mercedes Lander and Fallon Bowman uh, said the song title, Get Off, You Can Eat a Dick, came from an incident at a school talent show when after playing one song, a teacher didn't like what they were doing and told them to get off the stage. Kitty struggled a lot because people just assumed all their songs were sexual. And like that probably owes a little bit to the label dressing them how they did. I don't know what that speaks to aside from just like general misogyny. But I mean, pop music at this time was Britney singing Hit Me Baby One More Time. Mm -hmm. And Christina Aguilera singing If You Want to Be With Me, There's a Price to Pay. I'm a genie in a bottle. You got to rub me the right way. Meanwhile, Kitty's over here doing the polar opposite with people and they just couldn't win. In retrospect, it feels so unfair to even, like, sexualize, like, they were teenagers, man. Yeah, like, like 15, yeah. Yeah, it's... Not great. Uh, nope, not great. Um, the next song is called Choke, and uh, Morgan doesn't sing on this song. Uh, Fallon Bowman is the vocalist on this song. Hey, it's two songs back-to-back -back about uh, what I interpret as molestation. Yeah, there's no question on this song. This song creeps me out a little bit. Yeah, it's uncomfortable. Yeah, she's singing to someone asking, how could you say that you liked me? And then she starts screaming pedophile and ends the song with, I hope you choke. And I think it's important to remember that these ladies, again, were between 15 and 18 when this album was made. So what, what she's yeah. singing about is problematic, and I'm sorry that it happened to her. Yeah. Wow, I can't believe we, uh, we rounded the bend on that. Yeah, we, uh, we hit the end, which is uh, Immortal which is like a cool little instrumental. It has a lot of synth and harpsichord and cool effects that Giga Garth put in there. It's very spooky, has haunted house energy. I have a theory about this. Yeah, what do you got? I think that Giga Garth knew that they were going to need walk-on music for when they toured, that they needed music to play over the house PA, and that he probably intended for this to be the first song on the album to open it up and they fucked up and got it wrong <laughs> this is what dude this is walk on music yeah, you, i you know what i'm gonna i will reach out to the kitty camp and see if we can confirm or deny that i would love to know because there's no reason for this to close out an album there's every reason for this to begin an album that's super interesting like walking out with that playing over the house pa they get their guitars on then yeah totally. like come on dude have you ever seen Kitty? Dude, the one time I was supposed to see Kitty, I was working at the Metro. They were supposed to headline a 10-hour-long metal fest. Oh, boy. It was the longest fucking day of my yeah, life. A lot, of, a lot of people throwing up. A lot of people throwing <laughs> up. It, it was terrible. It was hell on earth. The only thing that made that day okay was that barrier dead and most precious blood played oh, tight. and that was fucking awesome but kitty was supposed to be the headliner unfortunately their tour bus got they got stopped at customs and they were not let through so the headliner was this terrible chicago band called macabre yeah who were the worst fucking thing i've ever seen in my life i mean i remember them existing i just don't think i ever listened to them this song is about jack the ripper oh, <laughs> oh fucking yeah brutal 
Yeah. I saw Kitty. They co-headlined the second stage at Ozfest 2000, and I was right wow. up front, baby. Wow. Yeah. How was it? It was dope, and I I don't remember it a ton because 2000. Yeah. But I remember just like watching the drummer so much. Like Mercedes is a beast, dude. Like she can shred up there. I did watch after you sent me that live video. Yeah. I, I watched a lot more, and God damn, they're good. Yeah, they're super good. So let's cover where are they now? Put a bow on this thing. Kitty's put out a whole bunch of full-length albums. I think it's seven. But it has been a bit of a revolving door of members, aside from the two sisters. Mm -hmm. So Fallon Bowman left the band in 2001. You know, there was just band member tensions, and you know, but she was super into industrial music at that time, and she knew Mm. that she couldn't get the other members to, like, get into that vibe. Um, So she left to go pursue her own stuff. Shortly after that, they put out Oracle, which is not a new metal album. Nope. It's super heavy. It's like thrash. Yeah. And like Morgan was the only guitar player in this period. And after listening, like I'm super impressed by that. Like I always assumed that Fallon was like the guitar power behind it. And I I definitely didn't give Morgan enough credit. So I'm glad to be proven wrong. Yeah, it's awesome. Talena Atfield left in 2002. Uh, Around that time, they started to go through some legal disputes with Artemis Records, which were settled out of court, but involved unpaid royalties and 11 breaches of contract by Artemis. Holy shit. Yeah. They also managed to get legally threatened by Kiss at that time. They started started their own record label called Kiss of Infamy, and Kiss didn't like that very much, which is just dumb. Eat a dick, Gene Simmons. Yeah, absolutely. (laughs) Eat a dick. Their song Cutthroat made it onto the Saw 6 soundtrack. So on August 30th, 2017, the original lineup got back together and did one show in London, Ontario. Please go watch them play Charlotte on YouTube. Yeah. Wow. It's incredible. It's so good. They've obviously improved. And while we're listening to like a, a 15 or 16 year old Morgan on the record, to hear her as an adult, like who's got her, who's been, in, you know, singing this whole time yeah. after her, her voice has truly developed. It's just stunning. Anyway, it's so good. I've slept on this band. I'm absolutely going back and listening to their entire catalog. I'm really excited to do that, actually. Same. So, sadly, in 2017, Trish Doan, who was an on-again, off-again bass player with Kitty uh, and active at this time, uh, passed away. She was living in Australia at the time, and she suffered from depression. And uh, it's super sad. Morgan stated that she just doesn't feel right moving forward with the band after that. And Kitty's future is uncertain. However, um, the band members are still active in making music. Morgan Lander currently plays in melodic death metal band Car Chaos. They were just about to release some stuff and do some shows right as the pandemic started, but I guess she's getting ready when we're, when we're clear to look, look out for Car Chaos. She's also the co-host of the Witch Finger Horror Podcast, which <laughs> seems to be uh, pretty good. That's like her and two friends get drunk and uh, review horror movies. Eh, it doesn't sound like anything I would know. Right, right. Yeah, you know, two friends get drunk and review, uh, what, new metal albums? Right, right, exactly, right. So anyway, she just seems like a really cool person doing cool things, and I wish her nothing but success. Yeah. Her sister, Mercedes Lander, plays guitar in The White Swan, which is a super dope stoner doom band, and they have a ridiculously good cover of Paul McCartney's Jet on Spotify. What? All right. Yes, Fuck it. it. I'm it's on pretty board. awesome. Uh, she also apparently plays drums in a band called the Alcoholies, but I couldn't find any music. Mm. But we'll put it on the days of the new playlist uh, for sure. Fallon Bowman formed industrial music project Amphibious Assault, and she played with uh, Pigface on their 2003 album Easy Listening. No shit. Um, wow. Yeah. And yeah, she uh, also released a solo album called uh, 
the human conditional. I will note that one show only, that 2017 show, was with the original lineup. So Fallon joined in, Tanya came back, and it's really cool. And uh, if you have Amazon Prime, or if you want to spend a few bucks and support the band, they did put out a documentary uh, examining their 20-year career called Kitty Origins Evolutions. It is free on Prime right now, and it's really good, uh, and I really enjoyed it. That's awesome. Uh, so what are you listening to, Kevin? I am listening to Trash Boat. Okay. Trash Boat is an English band, uh, some younger guys, really doing a brilliant mix of just emotional hardcore and uh, just a lot of melody built in, but super fucking heavy. I would recommend their album Crown Shyness. It came out in 2018. Check out the song Shade and definitely check out some of the newer stuff they're doing. I believe their latest single is called Synthetic Sympathy. Uh, I saw these guys with Sleep On It when they came through Charlotte, and I'm just really excited to see where they go. But Trash Boat. I haven't been listening to shit. <laughs> <laughs> um, I have been listening to Trophy Eyes. Fuck yeah, dude. I love yeah, Trophy they're, Eyes. They're pretty dope. Not their newest album so much as their 2016 release. Uh, Chemical Miracle. We'll go with the song Chlorine. Good choice. Yeah, I really like Trophy Eyes. Mm -hmm. All right, man. Where can they find us? Uh, you can find us at D-A-Y-Z of the new N-U at Instagram and at Spotify <laughs> for our playlist and at Twitter. Uh, you can find me at Nick underscore the underscore knife at Instagram and Twitter as well. You can find me on Instagram at K-J-D-E-L-U-R-Y. And you cannot find me on Twitter. You better come find me in person and we will settle this shit like men. Cool. Next up is uh, nothing. This is the end of season one. This is it. Sorry. Sorry we dropped that on you. It's a season. We're going to, you know, drop some uh, short episodes, maybe some mosh pits on you. Mm -hmm. But uh, we're going to go ahead and start researching and writing season two. We really hope you've enjoyed this. Uh, and we really would ask you, if you have, to tell your friends. Yeah, share it. Please. We, we put a lot of work into this. And while we do it for, for fun mostly, we'd like to get as many people, you know, listening to the show. Uh, share it. Tag us and stuff. Yep. And please give us a five-star review on iTunes and follow us on whatever platform you listen to podcasts, please. Yep. Uh, we will be seeing you guys soon, so please keep an eye out. We've, uh, we're already writing episodes. We're really excited to share them with you. Until then, it's been one of those days. Don't be alive!